0: Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. In every single market, there are a couple of agents or a collection of agents that when you break into real estate as a new agent, and I know I did this, you, you just naturally look up to those agents and you're like, oh my gosh, if I could ever one day get to that level, level of listings or you know level of loyalty with the clients. And today I'm sitting here with two agents that, were that for me when I started out in my market. There are two agents that uh, dominated the local agent market that I started in. They, they've they worked with my parents, even, you know? and- uh, <laughs> That's pretty good. And literally, you can ask anybody in, in that market, New London County area, Middlesex County area of Connecticut, who the top two agents are, and they would say, these two women right here with me today, Mary Pula and Anne carpenter. So for anybody that's in real estate, just give us your how you guys got into real estate, just a quick, and I know it's not going to be a quick background, but just like the quick background of how you started, why you got into this business, how long you've been in, that kind of thing. I mean, these two women, by the way, have averaged over a hundred sales a year each and every year for years. These are top, top performers. They're in the top 10 the 10th the of the top 1% of unit movers in this country. So this is a real treat. And Mary, why don't we start with
1: you? Wow, well, thanks for the introduction. Yeah. I feel like, whoa, a lot to live up to there. But um, with that said, and an abbreviated version, I entered the industry 37 years ago. Um, I basically came out of college overeducated and underexperienced. Came to Connecticut, my fiance, husband now, uh, for many years, was working at Millstone. I did all my education on Long Island. So when I came up here, my sphere of influence was zero. I really didn't know the work market per se here, but long story short, in that regard, I wound up actually interviewing one of the top brokers in the area, going to work for him after doing many interviews in different fields, particularly banking and finance, and ultimately decided that if I'm going to pursue real estate, I looked up the basically top broker in the area. I went to an interview with him at the time and I give a big shout out to, um, may he rest in peace now, George Boyer. Many of us started with George and uh, he was a great mentor. And I worked for him in the escrow department while I was getting my license and then uh, entered the market, not knowing the area at all, not living here, not having any family here, and um, just practiced the fundamentals. And here we are today. That's a real abbreviated story. That's,
0: well, we'll get into more. I'm yeah, sure.
1: but it's been, it's really unusual in that I entered the industry right after college, essentially. So that's why people always say, how long, how long have you been doing this? You know, how did you do that? And it's because I made it a career when it wasn't even really a career path at the time.
0: That's right. I, I mean, how many part-timers were were in there at the time? More than today?
1: I would say yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And what, what's your story?
1: My story is a lot
2: simpler I was (laughs) undereducated all my education came from bartending then I got into a hairdressing business for a year and uh, I just took on clients and felt bad for everybody so I did them at home and figured I needed a job that paid so somebody told me to go to real estate school with them and I did and she didn't go and i ended up still doing it and uh mary was in the class she was right
1: in the front
0: really of her hand up the whole time the yeah. same class
2: yeah
1: the same class isn't that unusual and know. it's like serendipitous here we are yeah. that's
0: very unusual i feel yeah. like that i mean usually when you have a class uh, i don't know i think when i went there was maybe 12 people and they they weren't on zoom like they are today now there's like big classes on zoom but it was like 12 people. And I, I bet you a lot of these 12-person classes, 11 people never make it, right? one person yeah, does. Right, but you guys yeah. had two rock stars li- literally in the same class.
2: And, and the worst part is I was working another job at the same time. And I think I failed the first P&P class. And uh, yeah, Leon Obrey at the time was the one that talked me into coming back. You can do it again. And so I did. I passed the, the state the first time or the boards. but
0: I failed my test. I think twice. The the, state, it was one of those, I I think it was the national, I think I passed the state or one of the two. I I don't know which way it was, but I failed twice before finally passing when I got my license. I just kept going back the next day. Like, I guess that's probably one, you know, we were talking about in the meeting today of like the rejection. Some people will take the test, fail it, and be like, that's it. I'm not doing real estate now because they failed the test to get their license. I just kept like coming back the next day and taking it. And maybe that's been a benefit for me. Sorry, like being able to handle rejection because I've gotten a lot of it.
1: Well, plus we tell people that's if the test is the easiest part of the business, actually, that's right. and then the rest, the real test is you know, Doing what you business. have to do. The did, fortitude you have to sustain yourself. Did
0: yeah. you you mentioned that? And I've heard the name before, Boyer. Yep. Did you both start? Yep. Boyer. Uh-huh. Boyer. Yep. And so, what drew you guys as newer agents? You, you know, you you spoke very highly of of this individual. What drew you guys to that brokerage when you were, was it right when you were
2: starting out or, or right
0: when away. you were building? Yeah. Right away? So, yeah. so what drew you guys there first?
2: He was the only one, really. I mean, he was the main he was the main name in town. So. He had
1: 27 offices because yeah. I oh, wow. looked him up at the time. Um, all the way up the coast and on and on the shoreline. And I say up the coast, I should say up north. and um, Independent? Independent, yeah. And um, all the way up to Plainfield, down through most of the states, so he was uh, he had an operation on almost every corner in almost every town, really. But um, I think there was a draw as well to um, not only the the fact that he had all these satellite offices, but the fact that uh, he did have training. Um, obviously, the field has advanced tremendously, but he had office managers that were pretty proactive at the time as well. Um, he invested in his agents and he built loyalty. Which Mm. was really important. He was self made. He was a Navy guy. And when he got out of the Navy, I think he tapped into the Navy guys that he knew and then started an office and then they multiplied. And his son today is still doing commercial operations, to my knowledge, um, but uh, never really stuck with the residential end. I think that's and property management. So they're still around.
0: Um, and what type, like, what was his day-to-day? Was he running the managers? Was he <clears throat> doing the training? Like, you know, what, what do you think? 27 offices, that's a pretty good, you know, run for sure.
2: Well, Pat Pastor was his <laughs> right-hand yeah. person. I mean, she, oh, okay. she yeah. really um, ran everything. Right. And then, you know, Rachel was under her, but I think mm-hmm. Pat was really the one that was doing all the training, the schooling, and everything else. So, right. so was, he, had a, he had a great operator.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And he'd have a general meeting. Every so often, and I'd say he'd probably get seventy-five to a hundred agents to show up. They were pretty effective. He had his top ten, I remember. And when I was doing his escrow work, uh, which physically back then, when you had a transaction close, the agents dropped everything off the file to the escrow department, and then someone like me would just rummage through it. And this is—I only did this for maybe six months while I was getting my license, but I met a lot of the top ten. And I was like, man, their stuff's a mess, huh. you know. And I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this better. And you know, that was an incentive to me to actually hone the skill a little bit because I look at the file and go, this is deficient, or you know, whatever's going on. And it's, it's, it's one of the platforms for learning. And I still encourage people today to stay in tune, stay educated in any way they can, they, they see fit. And um, you learn and you grow that way. And that's what keeps you, you know has a better edge as an agent too i mean we're talking about stuff and and like in a very short period of time of being a part of the one and company family we feel like dinosaurs but it's because we've done so many different things in a different way but over almost four decades we're approaching Uh, so part of me goes wait a minute of course we couldn't have done it this way we didn't even have that well there was
0: there was a lot of different you know people weren't going on Zillow on an app and then getting live connected with a robot nope. named Alex and Alex live connecting yep. it to mm-hmm. an ISA team or an agent and nope. setting up an automatic showing like showing time didn't exist you know there was a lot of these right M- the MLS these, didn't even
2: exist no nope. these these mics and headphones didn't exist that's right <laughs> and I mean no this, this is also new
0: and this microphone did exist it this did. is the same microphone that wow. Michael Jackson, no recorded way. not this actual mic i'd have it in like a seat, but but the sure mic this style mic no is way. what michael jackson recorded thriller on wow oh. yeah so this mic's been around a long time oh, this is like fun terrific. fact for you bobby if yeah. you didn't know that there you, you didn't oh. know that yeah but it was actually this this style mic that that so the mics have been around i don't know about the, the fancy headsets but yeah. so a lot has changed for sure but and and just for context everybody Mary and Ann merged their business with our team here in Connecticut, the one and company team at Ravis. And so we're, we're into a couple weeks here, basically, mm-hmm. uh, of integrating. You say a lot of things are different and you're like, oh my gosh, we're, we're dinosaurs, which you're not. That, that's, that's not the case. But the, I would say a lot of things are different on the tech where things have gone in that regards. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, and we just saw it like last... Last night, with what happened with Zillow in the earnings call, uh-huh. this is a relationship business. This is a contact sport. Absolutely. This is a manual business where you got to get out there and actually do the work as an agent. You've got to do the follow up. I think that is all still the same.
2: I think Absolutely. That's, a, that's what's going to keep people in the business more. You know, the thing is, is that the tech is what gets you your
1: start, the relationship is what keeps you in.
0: The introduction, right? Uh-huh. Is, the, right. is the tech. Right.
1: Yeah. And in some ways, I feel a little sorry for agents starting out today, because at the root of the business, so much of what we did, which was so fundamental to getting up every day and putting your realtor hat on and your realtor pin, which I still advise people wear. Um, Man, did you ever I, I, wear it? I, I never wore it. I she wore keeps it them almost on my every like <laughs> day, honestly. Um, well, you're not it wearing was like it now. I know. I faltered, um, but. In fact, it's it really I do advocate it. Um, the pen, the pen, yes. It starts a
0: conversation.
1: It's an icebreaker. Um, yeah, it really is. But that said, the fundamentals that we had to be had to excel at, they're not as honed today with a lot of the newer generation or the younger generation, and, or the people entering the business. I shouldn't define it by age because it's set so much on the phone and. The touching is a different touch. It's You talked about the ISM group and that let them do it. Well, you know, you concentrate on the 60 to 90 days. But you do have to kind of pull the guy out that might be the 120 day or the 180. or. Yeah, it's
0: more or of an car. art than, than a- Exactly. You and know.
1: you have to kind of get a feel for that. And um, I've used the term before, you're an athlete at the job in the sense that you have to get out there every day on your own personal treadmill, set the pace at what you feel comfortable, not what someone else's comfort level is. And stick to that. That's what's gonna work best for you. And that's what's gonna make you genuine at what you do. Um, but watching people and trying to get back faster and in ten seconds, two seconds, three seconds, it's that's that's a hard that's a hard thing to do. It's
0: hard to keep up and keep in touch with people, but you guys both do a hundred plus transactions a year.
2: Because we
1: have, like have, folders. have the, know, the folders you talked about. I know the folders. We but, have our folders.
0: Out. But no, at the end of the day, if you're not getting back to people in a timely manner or you're not following through with what you say you're going to do, then they're going to go find someone else to work with. So, I mean, I don't know when people are, you know, in the comments, is 100 deals a lot? Yes or no? Like when people hear that, 100 deals a year, as, you know, you guys you guys have had teams and you guys have done it all. By the way, they've done it all. They've, they've had a brokerage, built mm-hmm. an independent brokerage, sold a brokerage, built yep. teams. They've done it all. But at the end of the day, you guys have been in production this entire time, doing a hundred transactions each. How the heck do you do that at a at your own pace, so to speak? Is your pace just like
2: yeah, on steroids? Not, like what, what's going on here? We're not chasing people like with a lot of the leads you get, where you you get ten leads in and you're making two leads out of it. So. Most of the people, even your parents, it was too bad that you got to be an agent. <laughs> too bad I became an agent. That's they were right. great to work with. But, you know, most of it, it's like, you know, you've had these people and now all of a sudden they have kids and they send yeah. you their kids because, you know, you sold them a house 30 years ago and and stuff. So you're not just spending all that time chasing people because they're coming to you. But, um, yeah, so it's mostly like a lot of the leads that – you're getting are not the same kind
0: of leads that we get. At some point, though, you have to do a chase, right? Like you don't know uh, yeah. unless you walk in. I I mean, when I started my business, I didn't have, you know, I started in, in Mystic, but I grew up in, you know, a half Griswold. hour north. Yeah. I grew up in Griswold. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know anybody on the shoreline, but that's where I was kind of focusing my business. I had the chase business for mm-hmm. sure. Expire calls. I mean, back in 2012, it, I had a golden opportunity at that point of like everything is expiring off the market you want to yeah. go make a name for yourself go get listings jack up your your inventory count so you can market that that's what i did in the beginning you must have chased in the beginning before you had all these parents you know kids yeah. coming to you you know yeah. now is different certainly than, right. than the first five years
2: but you know what i also did is i had mary lou i mean mary lou's been with me she's an assistant who's now with you but Mary Lou was like an extension of me. I, when I hired her 23 years ago, I mean, she was just – she she's, she's a very caring, warm person. She knows the people as well as I do. So it was almost like having her work with me anyway. So she is a good reason I, you know, sustained a lot of the people I did.
0: Would you have stayed in this business if you were doing it completely solo? Would you have stayed in it doing it? I, I wouldn't it? have been able to because
2: yeah. we were working – I mean, we were working up to 90 hours a week well, for a I, while and it was just – I think it that's is. well. Part that of was it. when we owned the company. Yeah,
1: but and yeah. that's what I was going to say. No, there's no misnomer that are misleading anyone. We busted bot and um, hours, countless hours chasing people early on. There's no question. When I got in the job, I, and I wasn't even, I wasn't born here. I wasn't even born in the area at all. Um, I was a statistical potential failure, actually, if you looked at the variables. But I, we didn't even have GPS. And I remember showing Montville Manor going, New York, Connecticut, Florida. What is this <laughs> All those weird, wacky I names. was so confused. Yeah. I was like, this is nuts. Yeah. But I used to do dry runs before I took the people out. It was freaking hard work.
0: I learned that. I, I learned that lesson me? pretty quick. And,
1: yeah. and I don't want to, um, I know and I think she, the bottom line is with this business is ages and stages like there is in life. Your first five years is, is you're cultivating um, the business in, in a very fundamental way. You're saying, hey, there's thousands of us out here. How am I going to differentiate myself? Okay. And you're setting up good foundation practices for yourself, um, increasing your sphere of influence, adding to it, running with anything that falls on your desk bar nothing. Maybe five to 10, you're starting to be maybe just a little bit more selective. But again, you're really still, that's when I introduced an assistant part-time. And that's back when nobody had one. It's like I hired somebody three days a week full-time. And then she went to five days a week working for me. And then I feel, as I've said before, every decade in this business is also a real critical change. And that's when computers start to be entered. And all of a sudden we had fax machines. So you were running, but you were running in a different way, Right. Because now you have technology merging and you can actually, you don't have to take the contract across town or drive it to Griswold to the other broker. Hmm. You actually faxed it to him. So I, that got me 15 or a half hour more in my day. Yeah. So then I was able to make a few more calls or- um, Came over in a roll though. It was like toilet paper, the faxes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it bleached away actually <laughs> yeah, after five years. And but I had to read it real fast. <laughs> um, it was amazing. So each time you make, you make changes and- Actually, when I even thought about creating a team over 20 years ago, there was only Before one person. four teams were
0: wildly popular like they are It right wasn't now. even
1: anyone emulate. I, I had one person I could call. And a shout out to her, Linda Davis, who's now retired, but I was a phenomenal REMAX broker in Ledger. I called her and I said, hey, you have a small team. How do you do it? With well, just a couple of suggestions. We had a cup of coffee. And then I just created a small team. You've taken it to yet another level, which is which is awesome. But if I dialed back time again and I said, wow, what if I was 30 years younger? I mean, I might be taking it to that level too. But it's it's absolutely oh, I'm, I'm amazing. I'm convinced you would be. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> so that's what's exciting about being a participant in this because I think you can blend some of what's always going to be fundamental in this business. It's always going to be hard work. Anne's talking now about ability to do cherry picking and have people come to us, that's because it's got 37 years preceding us of a track record where we've been able to say, hey, we did well by somebody. Options. Right, exactly. And and the fact that we're into third generation of clients, it's a beautiful thing. It's such a compliment. It really is. And that's what makes even uh, you know, parting with any of these clients hard because you're like wow, I dealt with your mother and I dealt with your brother and I dealt with your grandmother and It's, it becomes a real kind of familial thing and you do take them under your wing in a very personal way. And when people feel that, that's, there's nothing that can replicate that in this business. When people know you're caring for them, that's-
0: Why do you think, I love that you said hard work is always going to be a variable to to agent success. Why, Why do you, why do you guys think, I want both your opinions on this, that there is this, mentality right now in our country that is against hard work not everybody but there are maybe you disagree with me on this but it seems like today there are more people that are opposed to consistent levels of hard work than there was in the past now it's like we one right now, as we sit here today, there's over 10 million job openings that are not being filled. And if you like, Leo was just interviewing a whole bunch of people for the ISA team, and he's like, Wow, he's like, a lot of people that I'm talking to are making the requirement that they, you know, our ISA team works out of the office, uh-huh. that they get to work from home. <clears throat> it's like, I want to work from home, I want these terms, but, but, but. And it's, it's like people want to work, but only if it's convenient for them, instead of the other way around, putting in that hard work to build such a phenomenal career for yourself where you have options in the second half. is Is there less people that want to work hard today?
2: Absolutely, I think you've got a lot of times, it's so much easier to do a text or an email instead of saying, here, I'll come over and meet you. Or to even now with DocuSign and things like that, I mean, it's like you can just send the contracts over, but nobody's really sitting and explaining it to them. So it's it's more, I think you get um, people coming back to you because you've got more of a, you put more time into it. So that's where your work is. It's, it's just taking that extra time to sit there and explain things or, or do things with people. And everything else is really now more technical. So you're not getting um, the hands-on and you can do that a lot faster. You can do it from home and everything else, but you're still not developing well, a
0: relationship. Where does mentality come from mm. that hard work is a negative?
2: Look at all the – I mean, so, when you think of it, I mean, most of the people out there now, I mean, they're given things. And even with the, the mm-hmm. leads is with real estate, they're giving them. They're not working for them. They didn't have to go sit at open houses like we did. I mean, we sat at open houses and you met people and you picked up people and you developed relationships because you got your face out there. So it's
0: this generational, you know, like-
2: You can buy it. My
0: parents had more, they worked their butts off more than their parents did. You know, my my mom came from 10 brothers and sisters. or they came, my mom grew up Mm -hmm. really poor, but then my parents, my mom was a hairdresser and my dad was Mm -hmm. a nuclear mechanic. They worked really hard and provided me and my sister a lot more and then, so- is it that that like we're we're just we're all getting better? Each generation gets better. So now, to your point, we're just giving people. Thing. I don't I mean. uh,
1: well, that's that whole entitlement question. And you could talk politics, which we don't want to talk, but you could just use some of the governmental examples of recent, even through COVID, where supplements were given mm. and not necessarily um, for good cause. And you had people not wanting to take work that was documented because they were getting the income, which would have superseded the income they would have gotten if they worked. So that's problematic. Um, But I've also felt the industry, as long as I've been in it, has been way too open-door policy. We all know, as we said earlier, you could get a license. That's not the problem. But not everybody is really qualified to do this job. And even if they get the license, they may still not be qualified to do this job. I'm probably one of the toughest critics in that respect. And I don't think it's a prideful thing to... I mean, the amount of licensees in Connecticut is probably up to, what, 20,000?
0: I know there's 1.6 million in, in the in the yeah. country. I don't know what it is in the state. And right so, now.
1: fun fact for you, then. So with that, and said, probably more
0: than twenty thousand. I bet.
1: <sighs> probably so. Let's say twenty thousand plus. So it's probably twenty okay. to twenty-five thousand. But. It's the old rule of sales, how many you're doing, and it's not necessarily everything should be based on volume, because I don't think that's fair either. I think there's a lot of people out there bring quality to the industry and not necessarily have to do tons of quantity. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's everyone's, that's the beauty of the business. But that said, you have to be able to deliver a certain amount of quality and excellence at what you do, or you shouldn't be in the field. We're sustaining license every year just to get the license renewal. That's the wonderful thing about the state of Connecticut too, right? They're pulling in a license fee every year for people that may not sell, maybe haven't yeah. sold in five years. So we do need to establish a bar of expectations. What so,
0: changes would you make?
1: Well, part of the issue, and I'm not sure who you're interviewing for ISA and the like, but a lot of the generation, I have a 21-year-old, she does think she's going to shortcut some of what I had to do to get possibly where where she wants to be but I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. Um, and I think a lot of our parents, each generation to your point earlier, does give each, uh, the next generation, maybe just a little bit more up or the next step up a level of assistance that I didn't get. Maybe you didn't get and certainly didn't get, but, um, I think we have to be more hard knocks about that. We have to make them earn their stripes just a little bit more. And I think the fundamentals then would be people would stick to them. And, uh, So the requirement level has to be addressed, I think. Um,
0: But in real estate specifically, because you touched on the licensing, Mm -hmm. it's easy to get a license. Would you make changes on the requirement to keep the license? I would.
1: I would put some level of... um,
0: What would it be? Because if you say, well, you got to do 10 transactions, some people don't hold a license to necessarily do a certain level of transactions. They may be holding the license to do an investment. So, like. You know, would it be more training? A lot of the training that the boards offer are not—it's just not very good. So, right, and I'm—you know—and this is not a Connecticut thing. This—this is across the industry. No question. Where where the boards are just mailing it in and and they're collecting a fee, and they're making sure that you know the CEO salary is is at a certain level. What would it be?
1: Um, That's a fair question and and it's a hard denominator because if you, to your point, if someone's just doing it to do their personal business and they're only affecting themselves, then I guess if they screw up their own situation, they own it. But if you're going to take on representing people um, in any capacity in real estate, um, there has to be um, an efficacy level and an I think a bar that has to be set with the knowledge in the transaction. I mean, I know Ann and I exhaust ourselves constantly when we're in transactions with on um, the other side a co-broke, and they're just not up to game. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that we do our best to try to make sure that we're educating at the same time, but everyone in the business isn't like that. So they're putting a be client- some overseeing.
2: That. You know, it's like if you don't if you're not doing. 10 transactions a year. Or if you're in that representing yeah. people. Yeah. You, then you should have somebody that you're sort of working under that is going to oversee and overlook the contract before it goes in. Just so that.
0: Like in, in New York City, Manhattan, you're not allowed to, you basically are an apprentice your first 12 months. You're not allowed to just go out there on your own. You must be assigned uh, a senior agent, basically, no matter what brokerage you're with. It's not like a certain brokerage. It's all brokerages in New York City. They, mm-hmm. they do this. New York City is a whole complicated mess. They don't have an, an MLS and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and I think that's Makes why- Makes sense, though. So. Yeah. And that, I think that's why teams over the last five years have really taken over this industry. You know, five years ago, Real Trends said that there was 1,700 teams that did 75 or more transactions or 30 million, 30 million in volume or more. Today, that number is 7,200. More and more agents are, are joining teams mm-hmm. because- you know, there's not a lot of brokerages that are providing that kind of support or, or you know, program where new agents can go into and, and be mentored or shadow, you know, shadowing somebody. I don't love the shadow wing because you could shadow, we could we could throw some names out here of people you could shadow for, tw- yeah. you know, 20 deals and you're going to learn things one certain way and that may not be the best, yeah, you know, I like more of a, a group mastermind training you know, role, role playing through situations. Like even today when we had our meeting and, and both of you guys chimed in on your experience level of di- different situations, I, I guarantee the agents learned a whole huck of a lot more than hearing me talk when when you chimed in. no. Nah, nah. yeah.
1: Well, we Well, we're available to chime anytime. Yeah. But to your point where teams are excelling, it's because there was a void in our own industry that we created, or I say we, cause we're all in it, um, major brokers, Um, many of whom have thousands of agents, they've sort of, uh, the quality they let drop, right? They drop the bar and drop the bar of service they were offering. And so now you have managers trying to run offices with quality agents or different levels of agent within the office. So then they're trying to structure training, assistance, to to variety of levels. And it's just like throwing it all over the place and seeing what works. And it really, um, it I think it's evaporated a lot of the quality in the industry. So then people then said, oh, okay, then they're gravitating to teams where they're getting more of a maybe specific training or qualified training or they're hitching Attentive the wagon. training exactly
0: available.
1: Right, or hitching the wagon to just yeah. something more fun. And less traditional. Culture is a huge part of it. That's what you've created at One Company. And that's a huge part of an attraction to people just in general. So companies used to create the culture. And they sort of liquefied it. Uh, We all know there's those large franchises out there that were supposed to be a certain level of expectation with the performance of their agents and the franchises when they sold them. And then that got basically, for lack of a better word, liquefied. They just changed it. And they made the concept available anywhere and started to change the very fundamentals of what they set that company up to, to attain. And then they wound up all closing or very few survived. Well, I think a lot of them, when
2: they first hired too, though, you were taking agents that were coming out of school and it's like one out of, you know, or two out of 10 are going to make it. Yeah. But well, really did, one out of
0: 10 by their fourth year. Yeah. 88% failure. But yeah. what
2: they did was they came in and they introduced their families to it. So they got their families out. I mean, they they made those numbers work. They got three or four At, deals in those four years. They got three years, or four so. deals in those years. Right. And it
1: was just, it was a numbers game. Yeah. yeah. Actually, it prompts me to say, what is the statistical turnover today equal to when we started? I don't know.
0: Right now, it's just about 88% don't continue to hold their license by their fourth year.
1: Yep. I would Since say it's pretty close, Byron, though, yeah. because I don't think it's changed much. They used to talk about the 80-20, then the 90-10. So,
0: so uh, now we're getting, when we sat down, you said, hey, where are the rackets that you have? You know, yeah, I have that yeah. in the real <laughs> word podcast.
1: Yeah, and hey, we are looking pretty good, the, <laughs> oh man.
0: <laughs> the, whole, the whole hidden message with the rackets on the wall in that podcast is that there are so many things in this industry that have been set up this way for a long time that to me are a total racket, right? Like that's the hidden message there. Like this, there's a lot of things that are a racket, right? And one of them is what we're talking about right now where it's a numbers game. Let's just like get a whole bunch of agents to pay the local board NAR gets their piece. And it's like the mafia, right? Like let's just get a whole bunch of people in here, everybody gets their piece, right? And I'm not saying we need a board. We need we need to have a code of ethics and all of that stuff. But there's a little bit of racketeering going on there. The other part of this is that, okay, so I don't know if you guys follow this. I'm gonna get a little bit nerdy here for a second because yeah. I do want your opinions. And I don't know if you're following this at all, but the the DOJ lawsuits that are happening in the big, you know, class action lawsuits that are right. happening in our industry. You know, one of them is like dual agency. Uh-huh. You've got an industry that is unlike any other industry in the world, where you know if you talk to you know a New York City um, finance person who does M A's, you know, mergers uh-huh. and acquisitions, there's never you know somebody that represents both sides of the transactions. Like that never happens in any other sale where somebody where where people need representation, right? If you're gonna go buy. You know, a boat off the lot, nobody's representing you in that purchase. You're just kind of representing yourself. But where two parties need representation, there's no other industry where somebody represents both parties in, in what we call dual agency. That's one of the lawsuits. Your opinions on, on dual agency, both 37 years of experience, you've seen dual agency many, many times. You've been dual agents many, many times good bad will it change one day what are your thoughts on on dual agency i i,
2: I think it's sort of a, a more of a gimmick thing that you know i i think if you treat everybody the same way to begin with and you're upfront and you know transparent with everything it, it's going to be good no matter what i'm not going to lie to a buyer even though I'm working for the listing, or even though it's my listing, I'm not going to lie to the buyer in front of their agent or if it was mine. Um, so it's like, as long as you're being upfront with everything, but I think- but a, con-
0: a consumer would argue, and absolutely, it's why you're the best. I know that you're super transparent and you're trustworthy, but can I say that about-
2: Can you say that about a buyer's agent when they're Can I say that in- about,
0: about the majority of the agents that I may come in contact with? If I was a consumer- you know, c- can I can I have that same guarantee across the board?
2: Well, the only thing I, th- I think you found, though, too, is that a lot of, uh, no, I, I mean, there's good agents, there's bad agents. There's a lot of agents that'll sit there and say, I've got them signed up on a buyer agency, so now I'm going to sell them a house no matter what. He can't go anyplace else. Are they getting back to them like they should? Sometimes not. Are they tapped into them for six months? Yep. So you've seen the bad part of buyer agency, too. And, um, and the same thing with, um, the sellers, you know, I mean, it's like, you really just need to be upfront and working for both people. I think you're going to have a better return there. I don't know that. I I I think think it was a gimmick for, for buyers to sit there and say, okay, no, they're only working for me now, Mm -hmm. but here's the other side is how can I not be a dual agent that's sitting there telling somebody that, you know, I can't show you this house because it's with my company. Yeah, and th- and that's ridiculous. Why I mean, would I not? Yeah, I mean,
0: right? Because it's the company, the dual agent. I, and, right. And, you know, so I'm when I say dual agency, like I always think about it more as that one agent. Mm-hmm. That and 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 I've you know even forget sometimes that you know conveniently for you sometimes that's like really you're working with somebody from one of these big companies that could be three towns over. That is technically dual technically dual agency. Dual, right. Yeah, so it's a weird,
1: weird You know, the bottom thing. line is though, people have choice and part of it all is disclosure. And if they're not comfortable with it, I know I pick up right away and say, then you can choose other representation. So right out the gate, if someone's not comfortable, um, that's a telltale sign there that it's, it's not something you should engage in with that particular situation, but that there's others that feel okay with it. And um, they feel the communication is more fluid and I think to a large extent, that's true. When we started, it was just understood across the board. You represented the seller. That's the way it was. It was like 55s fives the speed limit. And that's the thing. Then when they introduced dual agency and we had to keep, every time we showed a property. Uh, what year
0: did they introduce it? Do you remember?
1: Uh, it just seems like it's all a blur now. now. I would say 15 yeah. to 20. That's yeah, it? Maybe. Yeah. That's oh, okay. it so it for the longest time probably half our career we basically worked with the understanding that i don't even think you
2: knew who you were working for to be honest i mean it was just a matter of you didn't really work for the seller that the commission was just paid i mean to me it was just a matter of the only time it came into a problem was when one agent said something to a buyer and then the seller took it to court and said well technically we paid the commission so you know they can't do that. And got. I sued. mean, I, I, that's pers- where, I mean, that's about. where the
0: big, the the, the big yeah. part of this lawsuit right. is like yeah. where they want to like, the buyers yeah. got to pay their own commission. Yeah. You know, I think I separate the two issues of like, okay, is is dual agency the best for buyers and sellers? And then there's the whole other issue of like, if you're gonna have buyers pay they their commission, they can't afford. Yeah. You know, the the, the government wants more affordable housing they want more people to be able to have home ownership Mm -hmm. and if you make it so that they're always talking about affordable housing we need more affordable housing we need more opportunities for everybody to buy a home but then if they've got to come up with their own commission and they're literally you know first time home buyers going into this thing blind you're gonna have a huge problem on your hands there unless the unless they're gonna get the mortgage you know the banks to finance, finance buy-side commission, which, yeah. which seems far-fetched to me. That, uh, that one there, that part of the lawsuit seems like a, a, a...
1: You know, again, it goes back to choice. If someone's not comfortable, they don't have to sustain that type of relationship with dual agency. But it is, to your Anne's point earlier, hard to avoid because if you're showing a listing under the company umbrella anywhere, period, you're considered a dual agent. So from that perspective, it's hard to avoid. So I think having something in place that explains it, and then at least people are acknowledging the existence of it by signing a disclosure, that at least it's out there on the table. And I think that's how it came to the forefront because it was probably being done in essence without disclosure and just by default years ago. And I think that's what happened. And essentially now it's on the table. I think it should stay on the table with the acknowledgement of all parties um i think years ago some more
0: disclosure yeah. maybe how, california I mean, has a t- they have a stack of disclosures i mean you could disclose
1: something to death and at what point do you get to where but how do you work and, with
2: somebody for 30
1: transactions
2: or i mean or, like you know if you're, you've got a, um, a rapport with somebody and you've shown them 30 houses and stuff and you've done multiple transactions with them before all of a sudden they want to buy a house that's in your, your company now i'm a dual agent well, sorry you can't trust me now because right. I gotta send you to somebody else because you can't trust I mean it that that
0: i I think there could be two sides of this where you know if you got two people separate people in, in the same company what the heck you know that that should be fine um but maybe you know one person doing the same thing maybe there needs to be some changes or some more s- disclosure mm-hmm. there I don't have a perfect answer mm-hmm. for it I, I love you know hearing opinions from people with way more experience than I have on that. It'll be interesting to see what happens because consumers some want change and then some like me when I'm a consumer down right now in its level of expertise for the consumer as well right. mm-hmm. like when I'm putting in offers on properties right now in Florida for my mother-in-law, I'm going direct to every listing agent and i'm saying you're you keep the commission i don't want a referral i don't want any of the commission i want you to write the i want you to get all the money I'll, i've got everything lined up for you i'm making it real easy on mm-hmm. them because it's a competitive market right. and so you know I, I think that's to my advantage are consumers right now more interested in investing in real estate or or less like was there another time in history where in your experience where consumers were more interested in real estate than they are right now? Like we're living through this, you know, this COVID market that that's really, you know, made people change, think about, you know, change the way they think rather about home Mm -hmm. and, and about their property. Would you say this is peak level interest for consumers or has there been other times similar or is this not even close to something you've seen in the past?
2: I think it's pretty peak right now. Except for all of a sudden you're getting the parents that are sitting there telling the kids, you, you got to hold back. You know, you're mm. buying in the height of the market. But with the interest rates the way they are and the rents the way they are, it, it doesn't make sense not to work.
0: Have you bought in every market? Like, have you bought in peak markets like this, your personal investments, down markets, middle market. Like, have you bought throughout time? Yeah. Is that yeah. a better strategy?
2: Yeah. I've got um, single family homes and a couple multi-families that uh, I bought all different times couple of them they didn't appraise. I felt bad for the people and I bought them. <laughs> but it was good. It and, see, and,
0: and just says, uh, if we're not going to pull this deal together, no. I'll come in as a partner. <laughs> I, and his way too... That was her marketing technique. I, I felt
2: so bad for it. But you know what? They both ended up to be... You know, of course, you know, don't put that out there that I'm going to buy everybody's house. That's and
0: Carpenter will, buy, will get a billboard. <laughs> I and painted a few. <laughs> buying homes. Guaranteed offers.
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, that question sticks to this, uh, Our the wonderful part of our industry. I think real estate can sustain itself through the highs and the lows lows. And it's about retention of the properties too, if you choose to do that. Um, Probably a slightly stronger market was probably that 80s period, which we paid for dearly, of course. But I think that spike of appreciation might've even been somewhat greater or analogous to what we're going through right now.
0: Interest rates were super high then. They
1: were, but the interest in investment was there. That yeah. Was the everybody question. was building like crazy. They were, and I mean, now it's we're um, not
0: building like crazy right now. No, it's way down. In fact, the last ten years mm-hmm. is our numbers of, of new, new homes construction in the last ten down. years. Yep. You have to go back to the nineteen forties decade yep. to get anywhere that low. Every other decade between forty to fifty, mm-hmm. and then ten to twenty yep. was much higher. You know than this, these last ten years. It yep. my, when I saw it on a chart, I yep. was like. That's really mind blowing that yeah. we're literally back to the 1940s, and we have, by the way, 120 more million people yeah. living in this country,
1: which is why it's going to speak to supply and demand until there's a whole new. You know, I grew up on Long Island, and right, everyone heard of Levittown. He put thousands of homes up right after the war, basically, and what, and back into the to the 40s, 50s, definitely, and then he migrated out to eastern Long Island and hit the hit the potato fields and did the same thing. And that's when my parents bought a house for $29,999. I remember them talking about it in the kitchen. It was that was the
0: $29,999. Any similarities to the eighties market to, to at all that you would I mean, I see no when I started investing in real estate, I was nineteen years old and knows yeah. she went to one one or two of the homes that I <laughs> that I accumulated. I bought three homes nineteen to twenty-one, lost my shirt in that oh three, oh four, oh mm-hmm. five, that market yeah. where You know, I was literally, one of my friends was, was a LO, a loan originator. Mm -hmm. And I was like, just write it this way.
2: Right? Like you did a great job remodeling them though. I did a great job remodeling them, put a lot of cash into them. Yeah, Yeah. That
0: was, that was a big mistake as well. But I mean, my big mistake was just, I didn't have any experience obviously, but I wasn't willing to go get the experience. I was young and dumb. And I was just going out there like, I'm going to buy all these properties and it's going to work out. like Just sheer like belief that this market is going to keep going up. And I don't see any similarities between that market and this market at all. If you actually look that market, in Connecticut anyways, and in, in the comments, like, tell us about your market if, if it's the same thing. The inventory levels were much higher.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: We
0: have a lot lower inventory. It was a lot yeah. more inventory then. Um, interest rates weren't too terrible. What were they? Five or, or six, uh, maybe then. But yeah. it, but it was the ability to get a loan was so was easy. Eight. Yeah. Um, they were so, doing them
2: at the restaurants, just writing them out. Go it, down to Cherry Stones, Here you go.
0: That's not going on today. And we 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 have significantly less inventory inventory than we did then. But what about that '80s market? You know, they were building. We're not building today. Right.
1: Well, also, where we are, it, we're in now living the outcome of all of those markets we just spoke of. And now banks, even though they might say, well, well, we have easy lending requirements, they really don't. You know, There's still more criteria today than when you were making those purchases. Um, so I think everyone's still trying to calibrate those mistakes that were made. And now we're in a market where there's, in most markets, less than six months inventory, which makes it to your point, there's no, there's less, uh, less supply, um, equal and greater demand. So it, but I think the market's, it's trying to find its own and it's a different culture of buying that we're seeing now too, than we ever saw before. Um, housing sort of morphed into more than it's just a fundamental investment to start my family and grow and all this. And people are buying into a lifestyle that's entirely different now and creating new lifestyles that we never even heard of. And that's why I think tailoring the way we work to this new market is becoming kind of like a bit of a, you know, watching everybody sort of scramble to to see what's the hot button for people. Um, Because people, if they are now working out of their home, or there's two of them working out of the home, now all of a sudden the need for space just seems more appealing or... Uh, wanting that pool or recreational equipment or whatever that is. So they're thinking, I'll upgrade. And, but the financial part of it, it's sort of interesting because if their income didn't change and they're buying up and upgrading their lifestyle, how are they making and what are they adjusting to do it? So that bodes the question of what's going to happen when a lot of people jump to another level of housing and then have to pay for it. It's It's really become a whole new way of counseling when you meet people today. Um, And some of whom Anna and I have met of recent, we're like, why are you moving? Hmm. Um, And some of them rethink about it and then they don't. And I think it's because it's become kind of sexy to think you can move so easily now, or maybe you should because, um, or get the secondary property. I think it's becoming justified. And we're all finding there's people that jump the gun too soon. Some of whom thought they were going to- we've
0: resold already in the last 12 months, a bunch of people that bought in 2020.
1: Right. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we're handling one this week. And oh,
0: they weren't even six
1: months at all. Not even six months. A whole
0: bunch of people, as you guys know, obviously, bought in our markets that were never familiar with these markets. They're like, Mm -hmm. you know, New York or, you know, wherever, Jersey or something. They're just like, oh my gosh, the house looks, I mean, 700,000 looks so cheap. Like, what a great little town. I love the coffee shop. And then they live there for six months and they're like, uh-uh. now we had a, a couple situations where they bought in the beginning of 2020 from New York in this town we're sitting in right now and they made a hundred grand because yeah. they sold the beginning yeah. of this year. Yeah. So they're like, yeah. really we're, we're fine with, with the sale, but that doesn't always happen.
1: No. And you can't impulsively buy or you really shouldn't no matter what the market yeah. is. So I think common sense, sensibility, any of those words you want to use need to be, at the forefront of any decision that you help people make. And once you do that, I think, you know, you're...
0: I always tell buyers like, especially when they're coming to a new area, like what I did before I ever bought in Florida, I was staying there in the winter forever, you know, like forever meaning multiple years. Mm -hmm. And I would get to know the area. I would Mm -hmm. really start to, you know, invest my time knowing what the restaurants, who the people were, and knowing the communities like going out there and re- really doing a lot of research i'm you know i guess probably more of a real estate nerd than most buyers would be obviously but i wanted to learn all those different communities so then when i like really bought it's like i know that's a deal because i've done my homework i've done my research where a lot of people the impulse where they're like gonna buy on a weekend because they have fun that week and that's that's where you make a lot of mistakes. All right. I want to wrap this thing up first. Before we wrap it up, I got one more question for each of you guys. You guys both got to commit to doing another one of these next year. Next, next year. year next year. Okay, With with wine included. Okay. There right? you go. Wine's going wine? to make it better. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I think this was amazing. <laughs> In the comments, if you think this was amazing. Yeah. Uh, hearing from Ann and Mary, please. So I just want to leave everybody with this. One thing that if you're someone who's, Thinking about getting into real estate, and I and I believe that at some point in everybody's life, if they don't like the job they're in, they think about real estate. Mm-hmm. I just think it crosses everybody's mind. So if you're in that situation, your one big piece of advice for them would be what?
2: Uh, um, after seeing your operation, honestly, I think it would be if you're really going to be serious about doing something like that, join a team like yours. Um, you you definitely have more support here going than uh, most things that most people I've seen in, in the companies um, to have. But the other thing is, is it's like you just, you got to go in full time to sit there yeah. and think you can pick your hours and I can do this because everybody says, the first thing they say is I want to be able to work when I wanted to work. And it's, it's I don't everybody think everybody says that that has never happened. It's if you can't be there and if you're not going to willing, if you're not willing to do the hard work, um, the knocks at starting out, you're never gonna make it anyway.
0: I was, I was, I was amazed. We had uh, thirty people on a Zoom call. We have thirty people that are signed up that are in school right now that are going through getting their tests, and they're going to be joining the, the team, you know, at some point in quarter one, quarter two, when they get done, yeah. able to take the test and all that. And I was like, there's no way anybody's gonna raise their hand to this question, but they're new and they, you know, they just yeah. don't realize. And I said, who on this call right now got into real estate to set their own schedule? and 90% 90. of them were like this. I was like, okay, well, that's, you work for other people. You work for buyers, sellers, and investors. They don't work for you. You're gonna be, like my whole thing, you're gonna be working the weekends. When they're off, you're working for them. You're applying for a job Mm -hmm. every single Mm day. As much as you wanna believe you can set your own schedule, your schedule's determined on the people that you're helping buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Period, end of story. I think that's, that is the best advice that I got coming in as well. One of the best pieces of advice was yeah, my this, is not, and nephews, this is not part-time.
2: Yeah, my nieces and nephews went to do it, and they, they see me succeed at it, so they think it's easy. And then it's like, you know, when you have kids especially, it's like you're not there on the weekends. You're not getting there every time they get a ball game. You know, you're losing your nights. You're not, you know, so it's. It's a real hard business. I, unless somebody wants to be dedicated, it's I, just I'm, not the
0: thing. Obviously, two daughters right now.
1: They're in real estate school. Right. I'm missing. I'm missing stuff. <laughs> I, they're they're in real estate school. They're <laughs> yeah. gonna be.
0: Um, like my youngest is she. It's her one. It's her first birthday today. Yeah. yeah. You mm-hmm. know, and yeah. uh, you know they're down in Florida. We're up here in Connecticut. Um, and I've you know. One of the big things is communication always. Like me and my wife, before we had kids, we communicated at length. I'm a nerd, so vision board. and like, what's it going to look like? Who's going to do what? Whose responsibilities are going to be what? And I was very upfront, like, I'm going to miss a lot of things. I'm going to miss some birthdays. I'm going to miss some t-ball games. And there's going to be things that I miss building a business and building the life that we want. Because our life isn't just 20 years of raising our kids. Our life is going to be well past that that portion of our life. And so what do we want the whole thing to look like? There's going to be sacrifice. Do you regret any of the stuff you missed? Because to your point, you're going to miss stuff if you're going to be successful in this business. Um, or no regret. No,
2: I, And there's always regret. I mean, it's like I've... I've gotten a lot of really good friends and relationships out of this business, and it's been very rewarding. It's nice. It's rewarding helping people, and uh, so very fulfilling. I never had kids, though. You don't have kids, but, no. the, but missing the things, 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 whatever it is, you know. You know, you know, a, a parent. You know, my father passed. He raised us. He was a single dad. He raised three kids, and you think all the time. She said, "You know, I can't make it there this time. I'll make it next time." Mm. And. All the time. I mean, he would come up and he'd stay with me. He'd bring five of his friends and, you know, I mean, we had great times together. But, you know, you always said, you know, working 70 hours a week. Wow, I could have, you know, spent more time there. So, yeah, there's regrets. But I think that's like anything. You know, you're always going to have regrets on how you do things. And I guess it just makes you appreciate them more. You know, the things that you you bend a little bit more to do now.
0: And I think that speaks to... Where this industry is heading to the the solo the person doing it alone or the person doing it with others the person doing it with others is going to be able to leverage their time a little bit differently
1: yeah right you have to conquer and divide or yeah. divide and conquer actually the other way around so it's uh, what's
0: your big piece of advice somebody starting out
1: no. wow uh we're thinking know, about it the i mean i'm very fortunate i'm in my personal relationship as long as I've been in real estate. And I have to say, I say this because it's that's not often stated in real estate. It's got a high divorce, divorce ratio, the whole, the industry. Um, so I often use the analogy of a seesaw and, you know, you try to keep that balanced and make sure that you have the support around you to ensure that that seesaw, when it's tipped this way, kind of helps you get back and kind of keep things in perspective and, um, make the adjustments you need to kind of keep that seesaw balanced. And if you're raising kids, pets, you know, your significant others, um, your family, you're trying to keep all those balls in the air. And let's face it, it becomes more challenging in real estate. But speaking to the statistics earlier, we still deal with the close to 90% ratio of turnover within four years. Right. And I think it's our job as uh, leaders in the industry to, stop and talk to people at times that might need that little bit of an adjustment, uh, to sustain their, their growth and, and placement in the industry. But it's the industry's responsibility also, as I said earlier, not to keep opening these doors and a tsunami of people come into it and it's, it's an in and out policy and if they're okay with them just doing a few deals and then they're gone. I don't know that bothers me and always has bothered me. Um, so if you're going to make an investment in the industry, um, For starters, you have to have a personal assessment with yourself or your family or your significant other and say, hey, this is the commitment that I'm going to be making. Are you in it with me? Because if they're not, you know you're out the door. It's not going to work. And also, you have to look at the financial component. There is not a lottery ticket in this business. You're not going to be making an income... Uh, An agent called me the other day and asked me that. She's uh, a girl that wants to become a real estate agent. Excuse me. And I said, you know, honestly, you probably better look at about nine months before you're going to see any any return. And that's not even necessarily going to be substantial. But you need to know what your monthly commitments are and how you're going to make those. Because if you don't, and you don't have that six to nine month nest egg, you're already now another potential statistics, right? I have
2: to say, do you know how many agents were my past clients-
1: and they thought well,
2: it looked so fun that they became looks, real yeah. estate That's agents, true. and so both many of them still so, work at our yeah. office.
0: So yeah. many agents yeah. that the that, that new agents they either say, "I just love," I've always loved homes. You yeah. hear that? I oh, well, hear that. Yeah. All the time. Or yeah. it's when I bought my house, I really like. Oh, said so I, I could see myself doing that. or this yeah. looked easy, and yeah, I mean, we know it's not not easy. So uh, I, I would I would agree that uh the industry needs to do a little bit more uh for sure so we need more leaders in this industry i think if if you're thinking about this industry right now as an agent just know that there is a real need for leaders so you put in the time early you really love this industry you you really think that you you know would thrive in this industry there's going to be a spot for you as a leader someday we need more woman leadership women leadership in in the industry we've got like 60 to 70 percent of all agents are women but yet the leadership is is flipped the other direction when you get to like the higher 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 Mm -hmm. level um need more diversity in in this industry and and so if you're thinking about real estate you know i I would talk to people in your local market but you know do your homework and and have that self-assessment but i think it's a beautiful career it's not going anywhere you saw that in the last couple years people are always gonna care about real estate and it's something technology can't disrupt. Like you want to keep the rain off of the top of your head. So buildings are gonna matter uh. forever. I really appreciate you guys doing this. I I personally got so much value out of here just sitting here and jamming talking about some old stories that I never, you know, like Boyer and, and these kind of yeah. stories that I, you know, I didn't even know about and really hope you guys all got something out of this as well. We're gonna do another one, Anne in in uh two thousand twenty two at some point. We'll and include some wine we'll okay, and we're gonna tell okay. some crazy stories okay, great. on the next one. So in the comments we'll bring pictures.
2: Yeah. Okay. Pictures, everything. <laughs> in the
0: comments, let us know if, if you want that. And just thank you guys both. You, you Pleasure. your amazing uh impact on this industry's it's incredible, and so I really just appreciate wow. you both. We're
1: so humbled, and honestly, Ann and I never thought of ourselves in that respect. And you guys keep so many us people. To, I don't. We don't listen, even stop and think about it. it. No,
0: but it's not me. Like I really don't. I've oh. even in the last three weeks since since we've merged together, I've talked to a bunch of people. Like Jason Pope reached out. He's yeah, like a couple people. have, like, yeah, th- there's been but more than a couple always, people that are yeah. like, what I'm saying is not just my opinion this is the opinion of a lot of people that have worked with you guys for many years and i mean there's there's a whole bunch of names that we could go through but it is you have done it the right way and i really appreciate you both for that
1: wow well thank you thank you thank you guys